0: If I had every parent of a two year old in front of me, I would beg them, don't make that child's life perfect.
1: What is financial sobriety? All right, we're back in studio with
2: part two of our conversation with Dr. Joyce Michael Flynn, and part one was incredible.
1: Thank you. Thank so
2: you. often when when someone tells their story, and we learned this a couple of years ago, that a good storyteller, you will find that you're in your own head listening to your own story. I have very similar experience to the pool deck and being a parent with... Our oldest daughter is a Division One college swimmer. Came up, all the kids have swam wreck. I've been at those meets with the parents in the parent relay. The joy, the excitement that comes from that, and mm-hmm. I was, I was in, I was, I was in my head on that story in the sense. Obviously, I can't relate to what you went through, mm-hmm. but I can see myself being one of those parents on the on the pool deck doing whatever the hell we had to do to get the right people around. And just, it's so fascinating when you listen to someone's story of trauma, in this case, how it gets you in your own head. Oh, yeah. And the other big takeaway that I had from part one of our conversation is I I think the world that we live in today, people want to hide the trauma. There's shame in trauma. For some, yeah. Yeah. They don't know how to process it. They don't know what to do with it. If I just keep it over here in a lockbox, it stays over there. And, and so much of what Beth and I talk about as parents, so much of what Matthew and I talk about in studio is today there's a for me, there's a real attractiveness to real. Real in the sense of being vulnerable and telling your story. I love how when you're working with a student at Sac State and you you just point blank ask them what's their story and then you start to show them how whatever the trauma is whatever the baggage is how in our parlance it's happening for them not to them. Mm -hmm. I can't emphasize enough how for anyone listening whether you're a young adult or whether you're a super senior that it's that realness it's that willingness to be authentic Mm -hmm. where That's where the hope lies Mm -hmm. to me is I was in my own head listening to your story of the doctors, you know, essentially saying, no, you can't. Because as a six-year-old kid, I I was born with something called like Perthes disease. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. My right hip is smaller. My right leg is smaller. And I had Dr. Frank Bersani standing over the top of me on an examination table in his white lab coat. I can still see the red script letters on his bleeping jacket. And he's looking over. He's standing over the top of me, and he says, "Well, son, no contact sports for you." I'm seven, six, seven. I don't exactly remember. And I carried that mindset of "I can't" right. with me for a very long time, decades, mm-hmm. before I finally realized that that I needed to sh- I needed to shatter that. I needed to somehow blast my way out of that, and the permission that that doctor gave you that, again, we see it as we're, we're using the word hope that's around it. Mm-hmm. But if someone that's going through trauma today, there's obviously steps to your work with Metahab that we're going to unpack in this conversation. And I'm really looking forward to that because I, th- I think the way for us to give hope to those that are suffering with very heavy, dark subject matter is the classic how-to. And yes. you were sharing with us in episode one what some of those how tos are, but what we'd love to unpack in this conversation, particularly with you know what you what you beautifully outline in your book, the anatomy of a survivor, is this concept of
1: metahab. So would you mind? Yeah, where'd you come where'd you yeah. come up with that term? It just the name metahab it it grabbed me.
0: So th- th- this was a while ago when this came up, but I just one day I was like, I, I, I think a lot when I'm running. Running is a good time for me to process mm. a lot of stuff. And I just kept thinking, I don't like the word rehab or rehabilitation. It's so small. Mm. It really doesn't show what people are a capable of and that they ultimately do. It's just, it just shows going back to baseline. Mm. So I had some colleagues and I'd kick it around with them. What do you think about this? What do I think about this? And this is over time. And one day in the afternoon, I was kicking this idea around with some colleagues. And one of them said, well, like meta. And I go, well, so I looked it up. Meta, going past, going beyond. And then I looked up the word habilitation, restoration. I go, why don't we just put those together? Hmm meta habilitation yes that shows what people do people go they surpass here's the thing that is very important to realize too that in that it is a process it is not linear it is up and down and in and out and around and out but ultimately and over time if they engage themselves meaningfully in the process they move forward they go beyond simple restoration. And then I just you know is a story about my my son was helping when his friend in high school was helping me put together my first website and we needed a domain name and I said, I don't know what that is. what is that? He goes, I'm all, well, what Mrs. Flynn, why don't we just call it Metahap And I go, Brilliant. So that's basically how it came about. Now, here's the cool thing. So we had a name, right? Yep. Well, now I had to go, well, what is this about? How Mm -hmm. does this go? So that's what took me back into, I have to study this at a deeper level. So I went back to get my master's, and then at a very deep level, my doctorate. And so when I was studying, my first book is from my doctorate, and that's called Turning Tragedy into Triumph. Mm -hmm meta-habilitation, a contemporary manner of rehabilitation. And so I interviewed six people for my doctorate, including a gentleman who had gone through multiple concentration camps in Nazi Germany to a young woman who had breast cancer with three children to a dentist who had had air embolism. It was just really intense wow. stuff. Yeah, And just about when I was starting to do those interviews, I go, oh, well, I had to get, like, big people. Like, I was going to look for John McCain and Lance Armstrong and all this. Well, none of them came through. And so the brilliant thing that happened was I had to get this done. So I just started looking in my neighborhood. And I knew people had been through stuff. I go, you know what? This is even better. Because we need to know how Susie, next door from me, who had three children in her 30s and got diagnosed with breast cancer, how she got through that. Mm-hmm. Or how Dominic... A Cook, who is a student at Jesuit and now at Berkeley and playing rugby and in a single car accident, was paralyzed from it. How did Dominic get through that? So So having
1: conversations with the people next door was more impactful than –
0: Hundred percent. Somebody famous because, that I don't know. Exactly. You can relate to relatability. those people. Sure. Yes, that sure. was the relatability. So I went through that. So I collected all these interviews, and I had this all happen. And another, I was one day, I was talking to a colleague, another professor at Sac State, she goes, "Hey, how's your research going?" And I said, "Oh, I collected these stories, and I got that." She, I said, "But you know, I, I just don't know how this all going to fit." And she looked at me, and she goes, "You know what? I'm hearing, I'm hearing there's stages there, right?" seems like there's stage. I said, yes,
3: mm.
0: yes, you're right. There, are, there is a pathway. There are stages that do. And then I went back into the research, my own research, and then did a lot of literature review. And I went, oh, wow, there's this whole list of characteristics and facilitate, and I can use that so what came about is metahab is a philosophy I think it's a way of moving forward but it's also a specific strength-based clinical pathway to achieve over time growth in the aftermath of trauma.
1: That's awesome. I mean in in effect what you've reinvented or recreated was this kind of old school thinking of rehabilitation, which is, let's get us back to where we were. Let's get us back to baseline. Let's let's bring the good old days back. Let's get back to where we were. And what you've done is you've reinvented that. You have-
2: Let's build back better.
1: Yeah. You've evolved that into something, this MetaHab, which doesn't bring you back to baseline, but helps you thrive well beyond into this unknown, maybe what we would call life 3.0, where just about anything's possible if another human has accomplished it before. That's As awesome. you
0: said, I was challenging the conventional way of doing things.
1: And Damn let me tell right, you, sister. I yeah, have you been were. pushing
0: this rock up a hill for a long, long
1: time. Well, you got two guys and now <laughs> helping you push it up the hill. So hopefully <laughs> it gets good. a little easier.
0: But yeah, no, that is precisely what you just said. That's exactly right. And here's the thing. I didn't, I'd like to be the brilliant person who came up with this idea, but this has been happening forever. Mm. I gave language and a construct around it. That's all I did. Sure. Here's language. Here's a way, a construct around how to do. How do you make chocolate chip cookies? Well, in this, my world, here's how I'm going to make chocolate chip cookies. Yeah. I mean, it, The recipe.
1: It, in effect, when, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Mm-hmm. Right? What we have all co-created together in this conversation that we're having, which I think is really just about being more intentional, yes. this relationship with self, hope, developing intimacy in that relationship with self through connection, through hope. Yeah, mm-hmm. And we just, we have the conversation in different circles. You grew up in the medical community. We grew up in the money business. Mm-hmm. And we're now here we are, you know, 25 years later in our careers coming together, having a similar mm-hmm. conversation. It's, it's fabulous. It's beautiful. And what I'm hearing
2: is whether it is a physical trauma, an emotional trauma mm-hmm. right? in our world, a financial trauma, that you're helping people have permission to the fact that they can build back better. They can not only get back to where they were in a restorative way, but they can actually go get beyond and grow beyond yeah. that. And so the, post-traumatic growth being a component to what you're describing. I'm just so curious to hear more.
0: Well, and I'll go over the steps, but I just want to underscore what you just said too about that how to do that and we talked a little bit a little bit about the covid situation or trauma in general what i really want people to know is because i have spent time looking at the neurobiology of this, the genetic part of this, everything, because I want to make sure if I'm telling you to do something, it is real. And I'm telling you, when you establish this mindset, it changes you at a, very, at a cellular level. Mm. And so when I would talk to parents and everybody about, you know, they go, oh, you did this research. Um, what, what did you learn the most? I go, if I had every parent of a two-year-old in front of me, I would beg them don't make that child's life perfect. You hobble them. And so also get your act together, parents and people, because you are modeling for your children how to deal with this. And we know in the study of genetics, there's a part epigenetics above the gene. Hmm. So At this point, other than Jennifer Doudna at Berkeley, we can't change a gene sequencing. You know, once that egg hits that sperm, the sequence happens. But those genes can manifest themselves by behaviors. So there is epigenetics tells us those genes can turn on or turn off. And that's influenced by your environment, what you eat, your thing, all this kind of stuff. So if you look at having generational trauma, why can't we then shift, which is true, we can shift. What about generational resilience? So parents and everybody, you get this right. It changes what's happening in your body and could change your children and your children's children. And that's why this is critical, what you're talking about right now, too. We've got to make our children say, yeah, you didn't get that done. That's that's bad. Okay. I'm gonna let you get bummed, but then you're gonna fix it. I'm not fixing it. You're fixing it. So that
2: helicopter, that oh. classic bulldozer helicopter stereotype parent today that is trying to, as I like to think of it, you know, smooth the path, clear the path, perhaps even put bubble wrap on either side of the path right. so they don't get with their the knees, bumper guards from the bowling alley. Yeah, they don't yeah. get their knees skinned and what have you. You're saying
0: Don't do that. Not only don't do that, you are there not to take care of them. You are there to guide them through that so that they can start to feel their own capability and everything. It is just as bad as doing nothing for a child as doing everything for that child. You are Ooh, say that again them. Say
1: that again, please. I'm, I'm pulling a gym page. You need to say that again, please.
0: No, it is. You look at the bell-shaped curve, and yes. you look on either end of the bell-shaped curve, and you get kids who have everything and kids who have virtually nothing. Both of them are in situations where that is not a good place to be. You have to intervene with that.
1: I imagine there's similarities there. Yeah, right. When you get oh. the ends of the the bell curve with the tails, where you got the kid with everything and the kid with nothing, and some yeah. of the behaviors manifest similarly, I would imagine. Yeah.
0: So when you have children who have it all, you and it's so tough. It's so tough not to fix or make their, you know, they, but I think that's the other thing too. When you're talking about how kids got there, you look at the greatest generation. Look at that. I don't know about you. I'm older than you, but my parents didn't run around fixing everything. And so be careful about what you do. You can handicap a child by giving them everything or giving them nothing is a problem.
2: The unintentional consequence. Oh, Yeah, And we, we, as
0: a college professor, let me you tell get to you, see it. I can see some you of can, that. You
2: can see it firsthand. Yeah, we Beth and I, a number of years ago, when our kids were, let's say, middle school, the girls were probably middle school, early high school, mm-hmm. we realized, I don't really remember this, but that'd be something good to go cogitate on, mm-hmm. is that we really hadn't shared any of our, our mess-ups. We really hadn't shared, as parents, some of our, our darkest moments, our missteps, our F-ups. And we do that a little bit more intentionally now so that they don't perceive mom and dad as these you know, perfect people. We are far from it. It is their head in that you know, good old classic 1980s ad with a you know, guy sitting there in front of the stereo and his hair is blown back. That's kind of like the look on the kid's face when we start talking about something. Uh, that's uncomfortable. That is a trauma, and I'm gl- really glad to hear you say that mm-hmm. because, you know, in my own little way, it's like, ooh, validation. Did something right? I did something right. Sure, absolutely. Yay! But you know, if you're if you're a new parent, and I know we have new parents that are listening to this, did you get the the manual? Did you the, when you had miles? I, I did.
1: It was it it came with my Medicare manual. <laughs> That's going to help me figure out all the different options that I have for Medicare one day when I turn 65. Okay. well I, I got all those manuals I in the I didn't
2: mail. get the manual. Ah. I got the on-the-job training. That's because you live in the Bay Area. If you version. live in upstate
1: California, you get the manual. Oh, it's a government subsidy. I told you. You and Beth got to move here. Okay. Yeah.
2: It's, it's got to be very reassuring to give people, again, the permission from the parenting level not to smooth it all out. Right. Not to make it all
1: pretty and perfect. Your kids don't have to like you. They don't have to think you're a superhero. It's better that they know you're a human being.
2: Well, as we've said a number of times on the show, I will always love
1: you. I may not always like you. Right. Watching you and Beth... And I don't mean you. I know you don't. I mean the kiddos. Yeah. Watching you and Beth has been very, very helpful to me. It's one of those things where I had so much self-loathing over some of the choices I made as a parent, because I was that helicopter parent for a lot, a lot of years. And to be able to start over and do it differently, and realize that it's not. And metahab. Right, and metahab and go beyond, (laughs) right? And it's not so much what the kids hear me say, rather what they see in my actions. 100%. And and I'm grateful to learn that example from the two of you because what I'm hearing come out of my mouth now with a 22 and 19-year-old are things like, I love you so much that I'm willing to be okay with you hating me for the rest of my life if need to be. Right, we had some boundary issues with Lucas that we had to have some tough conversations about how much I really love you. And up until that point I'm not sure I understood fully what unconditionally loving your child really meant. And sometimes that meant not being liked by them very much. That was hard as a parent. Oh yeah. So, thank you for That was a fun showing little, me the way. That was
2: you're most welcome. It obviously wasn't in the manual. No. No, not so. That was a that's a a, a great off ramp, but to kind of redirect back to mm-hmm. the
0: the stages in
2: metahab.
1: And I'm just, the, was it six stages six to stages. metahabilitation.
0: I, I'll get. But by the way, that'd be a great show to have with this whole parenting thing. Yeah, that's a huge thing. That'd be a huge great show to have. So just throwing Ooh, that out there.
1: Yeah. Nice little seed planted <laughs> yeah. there to keep keep our audience coming back for more. Thank you. <laughs> that'd be a great one.
0: So yes. I have identified six stages to Metahab, And so stage one is what I call survival or acute recovery. And in that stage, and it can be physical, it can be emotional or whatever, that's when people go, what can I do? What can I do? How can I do it? I go, ooh, take a deep breath here.
1: This is the slowdown moment.
0: I just want you, we're going to get you through one day to the next. That's all we're going to do right now. Set that up. Get that going. Let's talk about what you can do just to get through that. Then stage two I call the turning point. And whenever you think about your own story or you listen to other stories, I bet you'll hear the moment in time where somebody said, I hate what's going on, but I'm, I'm going to move forward. I don't know how I'm going to do that, I know, but I'm going
1: to move forward. I in sick. my head right now? That's your Popeye moment. Ooh. Are you thinking about your Popeye moment? Which one? Uh, <laughs> I I can't stand no more. That one. Come on.
2: Mm, no, I'm no no. I'm more in my mortgage crisis, two
1: thousand and eight. Sick and tired of feeling sick and tired.
2: Not knowing how I'm going to get out of debt.
1: Ah, but knowing you got to take that step forward.
2: And I've I mean I've shared the story before, but I'll share it again for this episode. Is in two thousand and seven my wife and I decided to leave the fixer-upper that we were going to tear down and rebuild and move to something else. So we identified the something else. We bought the something else. But we made a critical mistake in that the offer on the new one was not contingent upon the sale of the old one. So we were the lucky recipients of two homes a mile apart that if you go back and you replay the tape, we bought it in July of 2007. took us a little while to get the old place ready to go to market. So about September of 2007, we start to, we put it on the market. Couldn't sell it. Five escrows, 51 weeks later, we own two houses a mile apart with big old California mortgages. We sell it in June 26th. I don't, I could, couldn't remember this date to save my life, but.
1: Uh-huh. We'll call it, yeah.
2: June 26th, 2008, <laughs> we sell the house. Oh, you remember. And, oh, by the way, my wife is pregnant with baby number four. Like so March into she's due middle of September, no problem. We're gonna spend the summer un undigging ourselves from this mountain of debt that we've taken on and the irreparable damage it did to my finances. Well, Grant happened to be born September 18th. Why is that relevant? September 14th, AIG, Lehman Brothers, Merrill Lynch all declared bankruptcy. Don't forget about their cousin Bear Stearns. Bear Stearns went
1: in April. Oh, it went before. Yeah, it went months Ah, before. That was was the warning. That That was already dead for a while. That was the warning shot. Gotcha.
2: Now my business is in a 45-degree angle into the ground as a financial advisor with baby number four at home and a mountain of debt that we're cleaning up from the triage. That's what I heard when you said step one, stage one. Triage. Was triage. Several months into this, I'm having my own suicidal thoughts where I'm, I'm hoping mm-hmm. like Red Fox that, you know, this is the big one and the big Lord is just going to take me because I had a big fat life insurance policy. I go have coffee with my dear friend Glenn and he's in a different yet similar financial mess. And I don't remember which one of us said it, but the, the moment that I'm having in terms of this turning point that you're referring to is one of us said, well, the ACE hardware is just down the street why don't we go buy ourselves a couple of shovels and start digging ourselves out of this stuff? And that was the turning point where it's just like, okay, we we find ourselves in an unthinkable circumstance, mm-hmm. whether it was our own doing or just situational, and we are just going to go dig ourselves out. And so we would have this little text exchange for years on, hey, I need another, new, I need another shovel. You want me to go get you one? <laughs> right? Okay. And so we made it kind of playful on, we're, I just have to keep digging. I got I got to keep digging myself out of this. And I don't. It doesn't matter how long it's going to take. I'm going to dig myself out. That was my turning point. That's awesome. The whole time I'm like in my head thinking of am <laughs> um, unpacking my stuff.
1: Did Beth finally make you throw out all the broken shovels, or are those still stored in the shed?
2: I've got one that's gold plated. That's oh. going to go
1: on a. You got to mount In the it. office, we're going to yeah. Next to the deer head, with the ceremonial. We
2: don't have the hard hats, so those that ah. would have been good. <laughs>
0: But I love, too, that you have what I call – when I work with veterans and we have what we call battle buddies (laughs) – and we work with each other. You had yeah. your battle buddy there. You had somebody to check in with who was keeping it real for you and to just like, so yeah.
1: Oh, that accountability partner, that battle. I love what you called it, the battle buddy. I, that's,
0: that's the. I When I do veteran work and I've gone on oh. out-of-door activities and we do camping and everything and they go, you have a battle buddy. Joyce, here's your battle buddy, Dave. And Dave doesn't look out for Dave. Dave looks out for Joyce. Joyce, yeah. have you had anything to drink? Did you get anything to eat? Where are you? Da, da, da. And then Joyce looks out for Dave. Like that, and it's really very powerful. So, you
1: yeah. need another cup of coffee? I'm good, thanks. <laughs> All right, battle buddy. <laughs> You know I love you. I love you. <laughs> so, so what's stage three, Joyce? So then
0: stage three is once they make the decision to move forward, they get. Vi- it's a very busy stage. They get really involved in whether it's a financial thing or whether it's going to get certain treatments. They do both conventional and complementary treatments. Mm. So they get in there, and families can really help. They can look up resources. They can be a part of this. This is, the, a, action yeah, this
1: is very, the action phase. This is the action Yeah, very, very, very yeah, yeah.
0: actionable stage and then that's a busy time then they get to stage 4 and I go this is when they like okay let me take a deep breath this is adaptation and acceptance now this may be for now not for your whole life but for right now you got to just stop and you have to kind of look at what was this what's going on what did this mean what have i learned what do I know now I didn't know before? People really take time away sometimes and really think about, where's this all taken me? Where has it taken me? Where will it take me? And you engage, and it's a really reflective time. I
1: was going to say, it almost, it almost sounds like you're, you're reassessing where you've been and trying to visualize the new trajectory that you're on. 100%. You were on this trajectory, looking backwards and now I'm on this trajectory. How much of that stage is about measuring my progress and seeing where I've come from versus trying to see the direction that I'm going? Or is it just kind of a little bit of both?
0: It's it's really a, it's really a bit of both. And okay. people do, you know, they accept and adapt. And there's times when, you know, they've had like certain injuries, they're not going to be able to go back to exactly what they had before, but they can adapt. It's like I love this, like the whole notion. Like I told you, I love words. So when I was at, I was uh, presenting at in Cambridge for mm-hmm. when the London Olympics were on. This is a while ago, and I was talking about athletes who have had a season-ending or career-ending injury, or whatever, and so talking about MetaHab and how they work through that and can use MetaHab around that. Well, I went to another talk, and it was about disabled athletes, but they don't call them disabled. Mm. They call them adaptive Mm. athletes. And I go, just changing that one word takes everything away. So when you go through this phase, you adapt and adjust.
1: So You're changing the narrative. This is where you're changing your narrative,
0: and the, and you might find because you've discovered a new purpose or you can't go back or whatever, you go. You know what, that door closed, but you know this other very interesting other door opened up. And I hear that as we go into stage five, which is re-entering, mm-hmm. you get back into life. And I cannot tell you how many times people said to me, "I became a teacher <laughs> because of that." I started doing this work because of that. I could no longer go back to this or I didn't want to go back to that. And I always wanted to coach baseball. And I did that. I mean, it's crazy how things work. So stage 5 is reintegration. You got to get back into work, whether mm-hmm. it's volunteering or get back in. You got to get back as Teddy Rose get the man in the arena. Oh you, my
2: favorite is that, that is the that bass? is my favorite oh, quote. Teddy.
0: Love Teddy. Um so anyway, it's you got to get back in the arena. And then once you get going and you learn so much about yourself, then stage 6 is really meta-habilitation or I call taking on the future. Mm. And that's when after you have gone through this process, you have identified and adapted a mindset that you actually can use with any little challenge or adversity or some bigger stuff. I remember when I wrote all this up and had all this together, this was like 10 years ago, uh, the week before our middle daughter was getting married. My mother suddenly my father had already passed away, but my mother died on that Monday. Oh my. And that same day, a niece of ours who is thirty-five died of breast cancer same day. Oh my. And then a week, wow. you know, that Saturday we were getting, and then a little bit after that, my husband had lost his job. He's fine now and everything's good. But so there was a lot going on. Boom. Wow. Boom, oh yeah, yeah. Boom. boom. So wow. one of our one of my colleagues, a physician I worked with, we were in co-practice and I was like, "Oh my gosh! I don't know where I'm into. kind of going through this." And she goes, "Well, I'll guess you'll see if that little metahab thing you put together is going to work, aren't you?" <laughs> and it, you know, it got yeah. me back into it. I go, "Okay, what? Focus on what can I do? Go through the stages. Start to go through the stages." Start to work the stages. And once I did that, then things kind of opened up and I saw things. So once you develop a process and how you take on irritations, challenges, adversities, or whatever, it absolutely, you just shift back into that. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to lose it. You're not going to be upset. You just don't stay there that long. And because you've developed... Buddies, friendships, social stuff, spiritual things to yourself, all those things that you've used before, you bring those forward and you ask for and accept help and start moving. So then you just like go, I mean, mm-hmm. people, I, I mean, look at your stories. Jeff, you look at all these stories that people go, man, this happened to me. And 10 years later, I'm doing the. This is crazy, mm-hmm. and you hear it all the time. So sure. that's why I love telling people, I go, I'd love to be the one who said, look what I came up with, but it's been around. Again, all I did was give a l- language and a process.
1: And the process, Joyce, that you just shared, to me, it even though you laid it out in somewhat of a linear fashion, you know, stages one through six, as you were going through it, and I was replaying the tape in my own head of how this could have applied to me and how part of it intuitively did apply to my recovery process that is ongoing with ups and downs and relapses and all sorts of stuff, but yet I've got this process of financial sobriety to come back to to restart any day that I need to, any time that I Mm -hmm. fall off the wagon, so to speak, Mm -hmm. or have a relapse. I've got a, a true north to come back to. What I got the sense of with your six stages is, is kind of this diagram, like it's infinite, in infinity. It Some of it can be happening at the same time, like some of the acceptance can start to happen throughout right. stages one, two, and three. Right. You know, just this acceptance of where I am and the reality of where I am today. Right. So I just, I really appreciate how your process kind of flows and people can come in and out of each stage and they all kind of flow together and work together. Uh, It's wonderful.
0: In my book, I talk about this, and even if you look at my – so the model, the MetaHab model, is something that's spiraling up, and Mm -hmm. there are stages. And so sometimes when you're trying new things, maybe in stage three you're trying new things, you might slip back to stage two, like i got to make a decision. I'm going to keep going with Mm -hmm. this or whatever, and then you move back up. But you usually never slip back into that Or stay into that ultimate stage of despair and what horrible place where people can be because, again, you've adapted this mindset and you have put into place. I'm going to bring this in because I really love how this goes. So there's, and I'm just blocking the guy's name, I feel bad about this, but there's a documentary I watched called Augmented and I'm, so if, somebody maybe can look that up and see the doctor's name around that, but basically he's a climber, and he was this amazing climber, and when he and his buddy were like in their teenage years, they were going to do this climb, and they got caught in the snow, and they were amazingly rescued, and they came back, and he lost both of his legs, and You know, he was a teenager and and so he was so – somebody said, well, the doctor said, what do you want to do? And he goes, I'm going to climb again. I'm going to climb. And, well, so they gave him some sort of prosthesis where he went, what are these? I can't – so he decided I need to learn more about this, went back to – med school and MIT and became and made these amazing prosthesis. So that's the thing that it's not something's wrong. You're augmenting what you can do. But here's the thing that I love. So he got in touch with this orthopedic surgeon. Well, it turns out the way they did amputations was the same technique or mechanism that they'd basically been using since the Civil War. And somebody said, wait a second, we need to back up. If somebody's losing their legs, we need to be better at how we're amputating so we can keep vessels, nerves, whatever. And so that's what he worked with this orthopedic surgeon about and his prosthesis. So they actually can have... Feet now that move that move around that do it's like crazy it's an amazing story, but here's the thing you had to start with wait a second how are we going at the how are we doing the amputation to begin with so I look at that with metahab and go okay is bad but how are we going at the problem to begin with I am challenging the conventional thing to say I am not telling you this is not bad. But what I am asking you to do is when we're starting this out, can we do a better job of lifting these people off the launch pad? Oh, yeah. Hugh Hare. Thank you. H-E-R-R. Hugh Hare, Amazing story. But I just was, that's why I say, like, every time I see things, I look back, I go, what's here all the time? This is here all the time. I'm just trying to give a voice to this to say, please, can we shift this? Can we – because people have – look at immunizations.
3: hmm
0: Awesome. You know what immunizations are? A little bit of something-something that goes to your immune system and says, hey, when you see this again, do something about it. Right. doesn't make little, you super sick. Little message that do goes a into your system. Little message that goes into your system yep. because that immune system is not going to sit around going, I'm going to do something about COVID. Right. Number 19. It needs I'm a message. I'm going to do something right. about this. It needs to be engaged. hmm And when you engage it purposefully, it responds. And then next time it responds, it responds better. Welcome to MetaHab.
1: So Joyce, you've been incredibly generous with what you've shared here with the financial sobriety community today. Thank you so much for the hope that you've inspired, that there is a possibility of change, of coming out of darkness, coming out of heaviness, of... Being able to experience joy and sadness simultaneously. There's so much in our world we have little control over, but when we get back that choice and control of how we choose our own reality and our own way of viewing life, and we get processes and people who can help us see a new way. Yes. Oh, so much gratitude. Joyce, most of your work is done training first responders, training clinicians. You do a lot of public speaking. How can our community connect with you with meta-habilitation, with the process? Tell us more about how to connect with Dr. Joyce Michael Flynn.
0: Super easy, just www.drjmf. So that's Dr. JMF. Www.drjmf. And I. Th- and I always like, uh oh, people, I'm always going to my Instagram post is, and I love having people follow me on Instagram because I'm always giving little tips. Again, I think that's dr.jmf. But yes, and get in course, touch with Meta, me there.
1: MetaHab.com?
0: And you can you can still go, it's drjmf, but it'll still take you to MetaHab, M E T A H A B, MetaHab.com. And you can see, or, you know,
1: Buy my book. Yeah, the book Anatomy of a Survivor. The book is available and available on Amazon. Available at Barnes and Noble. Fabulous.
0: And I do have, as I would love to kind of keep this going, but I started out. I have a podcast called Sliver of Hope: Stories of Survival and Growth.
1: Where can we find that podcast?
0: You can find the podcast. everywhere Everywhere. with that. And that podcast will take you. It's kinda it's an interesting podcast because it has an intro, but I have guests that will profile each stage. So if you want to look at more intense about each stage, it'll do that as well.
1: Oh fabulous.
0: But yeah, so if you know you you need somebody to speak about this or you want me to consult with your agency about whatever, please this is this is my bliss. This is what I love doing. So
1: Now, you don't you don't work one-on-one with people as a practitioner anymore, but there are clinicians that you've trained in meta-habilitation that, that I you can help our community connect with. Provide resources. Wonderful. Too. Mm-hmm. And Wonderful. three
2: individual resources are, A, the podcast, A Sliver of Hope. Yes. B, the book, Anatomy of a Survivor. Yes.
0: And
1: then also your Instagram feed where you
0: have some Oh, lots of stuff. And we're always putting stuff out on that.
1: Yeah. Dr. Joyce Michael Flynn, you are a friend of Financial Sobriety. We love you and we are grateful for you to be here today. Thank you so much.
2: And we are very looking forward to having you back in the studio, perhaps where we go into a little bit more on that parenting manual. That oh, we that'd we be fantastic. Yes. Fantastic. So many, many thanks for all of your wisdom, your gifts and your talents and your story.
0: Thank you so much. It's been such an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: You're very welcome. And with that, friends, let's call that the wrap. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety. I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt.
3: to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.